The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 147. One day, I shall come back. And that's it. I've been renewed. It's when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Physician universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing The Moon Base, a second Doctor story. Uh, joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well. Folks, if you can, I'd really uh, appreciate it if you could go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting your podcast from. And write a review of the podcast, and uh, help that helps us get the news out about the podcast. And if you could share it with your Doctor Who friends, we you know we would really appreciate it, and it helps us grow the audience, especially as we're looking forward to the new season of Doctor Who that's coming down uh, the line in a few months. Uh, there'll be people looking for Doctor Who content again, and so uh, we'd like to be there for them and, and have them join us as you have. So we would greatly appreciate that. So, as I mentioned, we're talking about the uh, the second Doctor story called The Moon Base. From, this was uh, released in 19, February of 1967. It's four episodes long, this story. Uh, and the Doctor is accompanied by Ben, Polly, and now Jamie, who we picked up recently on the, on the Highlands uh, two stories ago, mm-hmm. and uh, still traveling with them. Now, this doesn't exist. This is one of the the lost episodes, right? This is where we don't have Partially. all of the 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 video footage. Yeah. We have two episode. of the four. And okay. so you have various options for how to experience the story. Um I uh had gotten a copy. This was the first uh serial where the BBC paid to have the missing episodes animated. Right. And so I already had a copy of the DVD that had the animations as well as the two live actions. And so that's how I watched it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Father Corey, how did you uh, watch, same, watch this? Same way. Same way. Okay. I, I didn't have the DVD before, but same way. <laughs> yeah. I uh, acted too late, didn't didn't get the DVD in time. So I ended up getting the audiobook and listening right. to it through uh, the, 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 the narration with... Um, the actor Fraser who played Jamie Fraser Hines, yes, thank you, yeah. uh, doing the narration uh, of it, and it's the actual. We have all, the complete audio, even though mm-hmm. we don't have the video because we've talked about that before. People recorded it. They add linking narration to tell you what's happening on screen for the more visual things that the right. audio itself won't convey. Right, and again, I I enjoyed it listening to it just like you mm-hmm. did with the Highlander, and uh, and so yeah, it's it's a good way to to uh, experience it. I will say the animation that they they did for this was very well done. You know, and yeah. unfortunately, I like it a little better than some of the newer projects they've done, where it's it's that much more newer projects are that much more static animation. Yeah, very than, stylized. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like this. I like the animation they did on this because it, it some of there were some scenes where it was almost photorealistic. Not quite, obviously. It was still obviously animation, but 
I think right. was, they they captured the the characters' facial expressions and everything very well. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, good. Uh, I I still would like to see it in that form at some point. So I I might go back and get that that DVD anyway. Yeah, I, I think I think the visual set design adds a bunch to this that just right. wouldn't come across in the uh, in the audio. Um, right. So I think there is reason if you can watch it uh, visually, then I think that's a good thing to do. And I did go and and watch some of the video clips that are available online in, on YouTube uh, of, right. of some of the scenes, which is mm-hmm. was helpful. Um, so this is the first redesign of the Cybermen. Yes, it's the Cybermen's second appearance. It's yep. their first appearance since the first Doctor's regeneration, which Ben and Polly were present for, so they yep. know who the Cybermen are. Right. Uh, it's also set after that in time, so people know of the Cybermen who were on the moon base. They've heard of the Cybermen, but they think they're all dead. Right. right. And they've given the Cybermen a new design, which has different, me- more mechanical voices and metal headpieces for masks, as right. opposed mm-hmm. to the kind of stocking headpiece the original Cybermen had. I know some people like it that because it makes them look more like robots, but personally, I liked the original Cybermen design better. I think it was yeah. much mm-hmm. creepier if, the more human they look and the more yeah. human they sound. Yeah, it was tough to understand some of the dialogue. And in fact, I f- had to follow along with the, there's an online right. transcript at the Chikatea uh, website where they have they have the transcript of the thing. And I had to read some of it to understand exactly what they were saying because mm-hmm. it was way too mechanical uh, yeah. for, for my, my I, I also wanted to note at the outset, this is before ripples from the time war turned the moon into a giant egg. So this is the real moon <laughs> we have here. Oh, it's not the moon egg. Oh. Yeah, this is not that. <laughs> I also thought overall the episode, while it was a little slow, it was quite tense and scary, and I would have mm-hmm. loved it as a kid in the 1960s. Oh, yeah. 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 And speaking of the time, so the, the 10th planet takes place in the mid-80s. This takes place in 2070. So yes. So it's almost is, a century. Which is the year that a, a second Doctor Future companion, Zoe Harriet, was born. Okay. Um, she was born around 2069, so she's like celebrating her first birthday at the time of this episode in that the is... outer solar system. Interesting. So uh, something else about this is that uh, it's the first Doctor Who story to take place on the moon mm-hmm. uh, that we haven't had it before. Uh, Jamie is mostly absent from this story, just to kind of... Uh, he was... an included as a companion late in the process. In fact, they had to refilm the ending of The Highlanders to allow Jamie to uh, become a companion. And so they were inserting him into these scripts, uh, higgledy-piggledy, trying to find ways to accommodate it. And so they gave him some of Ben's dialogue, and they had a subplot where he's like laid out in the hospital for a good bit of time. So he's not. that's why he's not part of the action. They're kind of shoehorning him into the script. He's delirious most of the time. Uh, yeah. So um, there's one other thing I was going to say, but uh, I'll, it'll come back to me. So the the way it starts is that the uh, the TARDIS is flying through space and it's going haywire and everyone's being tossed around in the control room. And uh, we don't know why it's gone haywire. Uh, and Jamie, as a 17th century Scotsman, is completely baffled as to everything that's going on around him. It's all <laughs> this is all weird magic to him. Um, and they land on the moon, and he and he and he uh, uh, reacts to it as someone who doesn't have a scientific understanding of the moon would, and and it's a very so it's kind of amusing 
how they have to talk to him about it. And then mm-hmm. uh, they all go out onto the moon in their spacesuits. Yeah. Oh, this is the, what I wanted to mention was is this. So this came out in 1967. We were a couple years before the first moon landing, but yeah. this yeah. would have been on people's mind that the, this race to the moon. So yeah, that would, very topical. topical. Yeah. Well, I think it was interesting too, like kind of how they move other than the fact that they, they walk normally, you know, most of the time, but like where they're bouncing around and kind of fly, floating around. Kind of interesting that we had never seen how a person would, would be in the moon's gravity, but they were somewhat accurate and kind of guessing. Yeah. 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 They it, were, it, they, they did a good job with that. They had to wear these, the actors had to wear these flying harnesses to uh, simulate the low gravity on the moon. And apparently they, like I saw an interview with Annika Wills who plays Polly and she was like so looking forward to the flying and then so hated it when they did it because those harnesses are supporting all of your weight in very uncomfortable places. Yeah. So they were in considerable pain. <laughs> so they, they stumble, literally stumble on a, a moon yeah. base in a crater uh, and it's an earth weather control station. It, it controls the weather on the planet with a device they call the Gravitron, and the Gravitron is what gave the TARDIS its bumpy landing. Um, and so they, they Jamie uh, falls from the rim of the crater down and is knocked unconscious and is taken inside. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, we found this random dude <laughs> on our dome, so let's bring him in. And you know they, they were treating him. And so the Doctor and companions come along behind, and uh, they're inside. And then we see the control room this uh, station and there's a bunch of technicians it's very you know very very you know, scientific and all and uh we see one of the technicians who's working on this gravitron he collapses and apparently mm. has this web of black lines on his face and yes and this is there's a some sort of disease or of some sort going through the crew at this point and the commander orders him to be taken to the medical bay and then orders a new guy to assume, to assume his duties. And I'm going, maybe you want to disinfect that workstation first from you know, on the chance it'll help with the mysterious plague and keep it from spreading. Use some space, Purell. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I find it interesting. They have this crew of like 18 people uh, on the weather control base, and they're yeah. all scientists. They, they make a point of there's no dead wood here. They're, right. they're, everybody here is a, is a professional. And they rattle off a bunch of different professions in science that, you know, we've got this physicist here and this guy's a chemist. And I'm going, why are there no meteorologists among the scientists controlling the weather? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but... That may be why they're using gravity to control weather. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, what, what, a, what a simplistic explanation of, of weather control. All you got to do is control the tides and use gravity to, to basically steer hurricanes. Yeah. <laughs> right. And right. Yeah, that, no. That'll let you <laughs> run Earth's weather. Single, who knew weather was single variable input? I mean, yes. why was it so hard to predict for so long? Uh, exactly. I know, I know. We just had more gravity. I do want to point out the part of the casting. Uh, the character, the Frenchman Benoit, um, is uh, Andre Moran, who is just in the '60s was in the '70s was the obligatory French actor in British films. I mean, it was just, he was everywhere. Um, <laughs> so he's like fact, the one. He was like the what? The one Frenchman that decided to go to Britain to act. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he was in everything. He was in a bunch of Pink Panther films, by the way. If, you, if you're a fan of the oh, Pink Panther nice. films, so he he was in a bunch of those. Um, so. Uh, the, then the, the the moon scientists they they know we we find out that they know someone near their base is monitoring their transmissions and uh, and, and how that, do they know that that would imply an active transmitter? 
and they're just listening to static. Something is apparently interfering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they did kind of, there was an interference or it was like, if you remember when you actually had, you know, when you had multiple lines in a house, but it was all connected to one, you know, it was just basically like one phone line connected. You could hear when someone picked up another extension. Right. So someone was picking up the extension. Back when everybody had actual landlines, you know. (laughs) Yeah, they had a landline to earth. Because you could hear that there would be a change in the the, right. the background noise and things like that. And that's right. kind of how they described it, where they played it back. You could hear this background static noise and, type. And and that implies the Cybermen have an active transmitter that right. they're using on the moon. Listening. Right. And if, and if you know you're being listened to, why are you sending un, unencrypted communications back to right. Earth? Oh, right. We, even today, even in the 1960s when this was filmed, I mean, everybody knows there are to be no unencoded active transmissions on a channel that the Romulans are monitoring. <laughs> exactly. Right, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Earth Control is unsympathetic to their plight. Uh, just puts them in quarantine and asks them to send blood samples on the next rocket in a month. <laughs> by which point, yeah. they could all be dead. But thanks, guys. Uh, I hope you like your weather <laughs> uh, that when we're all dead. Uh, like you'd think this would be a big deal that, that yeah. they would be, we'll send a rocket right away because you're controlling the earth's weather. Nope. Uh, Cause we see eventually what happens when, you know, nobody's at the controls. Uh, there's a bunch of, a, a, a bunch of things that were having to do with drops and uh, air pressure in the dome occasionally. And someone gets dragged off by an unseen figure. It's a Cyberman. And, mm-hmm. and then in the infirmary, we have the, the, the various people who've come down with this sickness. So, so called, uh, laying there, and Polly is watching over Jamie. They see something off screen. Polly screams for the first time, uh, not for the last. And then uh, once Jamie is alone in the room, this figure comes in next to Jamie's bed, and he thinks it's the Phantom Piper of McCrimmons, uh, some yep. sort of uh, McCrimmons uh, what, tale of the Piper. One thing, I, yeah. one thing I really liked in the animation is there were a couple of times before you actually saw the Cybermen where you saw a shadow and you saw the little who the, the top? Yeah, yeah it it was. They made it clear it was a Cyberman without just explicitly, you know, explicitly seeing the Cyberman. I thought that was a nice touch the way they did that in the yeah. shadows. So we should explain what the Piper of McCrimmon is. Um, the it apparently, and this comes out through dialogue between Polly and the Doctor. Um, apparently, Jamie's clan has a legend, a folk tale that says when a member of their family is about to die, a phantom piper will appear to him as a portent of death. And mm-hmm. so Jamie, has, having been injured by his fall on the moon, is now delirious and is afraid he's close to death. And so he's, he's like kind of rambling about the piper and st- wanting the piper to stay away from him and stuff like that. And then when he sees a Cyberman, eventually... He interprets it as the piper, even though it doesn't have a pair of bagpipes. Uh, we have an actual recording of the of this uh, event happening to one of the McCrimmons. Here, here it is. All right, we have a piper who's down. He's always just passed. We have a piper down. I repeat, a piper is down. Oh boy. But okay, Don, anyone... you need to explain that for the audience. <laughs> that is a clip from the Mike Myers movie from the early '90s. Uh, so I married an axe murderer. Uh, so uh, you could go check that out. But uh, so, I, so now, 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 uh, YouTube has claimed this this video. If you watch this on YouTube, they, uh, well, so. yes, well, it'll be, it actually got the video off of YouTube, and they haven't taken that one down, so they won't take ours down. Uh, sure, so, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's eight seconds. It's fair use. Uh, so um, anyway, 
Jamie is uh, you know, he's delirious about the Piper. Um, Hobson, the, who's the, the the commander of the base, recognizes the term Cybermen, but says that they were all destroyed ages ago. So, so that sort of establishes that everyone knew about that the whole Tenth Planet episode, episode, the the, the events of that. Um, the the the, the doctor is in the infirmary, and he says at one point, at this point that he took a medical degree in Glasgow in eighteen eighty eight, which I thought was very interesting. From Lister. From Lister. Uh, uh, and I do like that later on, uh, Polly says, maybe there's some medical science that developed between the time you got your degree in Glasgow in 1888 and the year 2070 that could be helpful in this case. And he gets <laughs> yeah. very, it takes exception to that. I, I love that. That's a really great moment where uh, the doctor is like, are you saying I'm not competent to run these medical tests? And Polly is like, Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying maybe there were some things that Lister didn't know back in 1888 that could be helpful to you now. <laughs> it's like, what a great, polite smackdown. Right, exactly. right, right. So uh, uh, then we have um, the middle part of this of this story is taken up with a lot of um, trying to figure out what's going on. That the, the doctor's taking mm-hmm. lots of samples of everything all over the base. Uh, the Cybermen are. I like the fact that the Cybermen are getting in and out of the base through a hole in the wall in the storage room that they keep blocked with a pile of storage bags, which must be the most airtight pile of bags ever. Yeah. It, it doesn't look particularly airtight on screen. <laughs> they're, they, basically, they basically look like big sandbags. I mean, yes. literally. They're just stacking so, sandbags in this hole. And so that's what's keeping all the air from the base from going out into the vacuum of space is this pile of sandbags. <laughs> I like that. Yep. The, um, the the scene where the doctor is going around collecting samples is is quite humorous. Where they're they're the scientists are walking around doing their thing, and the doctor's sitting there with these big tongs, grabbing like a bit of hair or untying somebody's <laughs> shoelace and pulling his shoe off as he's walking away. Right, right. Yeah, somebody walks out of the shoe. Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, they're having um, problems with the gravitron, the this this device, and it's it's, and then they realize it has to do with that. There's missing pieces of an antenna. Huh. Wonder what where those went. And then the the guys at the base they realized this all this stuff started happening right after the doctor arrived, so maybe he's responsible. Uh, so there's some suspicion of the doctor, but that doesn't last very long. They don't really play that out. Well, well it kind of comes and goes a little bit. The doctor, on the other hand, because he's at one point the base commander says to the doctor that you've got 24 hours to get off the moon if you can't cure this disease, which the doctor has said he's going to try to do. And right. so the doctor's looking for a cure for the disease, but the base commander is also kind of suspicious. Maybe he caused the disease, and it kind of goes back and forth. Right. Uh, so they send out a couple of guys to go fix the antenna. They're attacked by the Cybermen, and their empty spacesuits are left behind. And I was thinking, you know, the, the Cybermen seem very selective in who they're taking. You know, they could have yeah. taken Polly. They could have taken... Jamie, although they later on they say that Jamie's defective, uh, you know, because he's been injured, I guess. Right. Uh, but it just yeah, seems brain very brain injury. Yeah, brain, yes. Uh it just seems very selective in who they choose to take and who they leave, you know, leave behind. Mm-hmm. Um so it's very interesting. Um uh, we we eventually find out what the uh, the source of the infection is. Uh, they uh, one of the moon guys collapses after drinking some of the coffee that Polly made, which must be some really awful coffee. Uh, but <laughs> but he gets infected and he's got those black lines. And the doctor figures out the source of the infection 
Somehow he figures out it's the it's the sugar and not the coffee yeah. itself. But right, because they had all drunk the coffee, but they didn't all take sugar, and the guy right. who collapsed did take sugar. This is why black coffee is better for you than than yes. coffee with sugar. <laughs> uh, so. The sugar has a neurotropic virus in it, and the black lines are the infection tracing the nerves under the skin. Yeah, so, it's called Neurotrope X, and okay. because everything is better with an X. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's apparently part of the cyber conversion process. So to get you ready to be turned into a Cyberman, or as part of turning you into a Cyberman, they apparently infect you with this, and it wires up your nerves to be receptive to them. Because they hadn't heard of nanobots yet at that point, so you could right. yeah. do it Borg-style. Yes, that's true. Uh, Hobson says, like the space plague? And I'm thinking, the space plague? What's the space plague? Which which <laughs> space plague is that? Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, just kind of says it like we should know, but, you know, it's like, well, again, because everything's better with space in front of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, space madness, space plague. Yeah, I, I do love this this uh, scene at the end of this, the, the second episode, where the doctor, like, pulls them aside and says, it's the Cybermen. He, and he realizes that one of the patients on one of the beds in the infirmary is a Cyberman because no one noticed the huge guy with the massive boots playing on, on one of the beds. <laughs> like, oh, that doesn't look like one of the guys who've been sick. And it's the Cyberman reveals himself and all. The uh, Cyberman recognized the second doctor. And I'm wondering, how do they recognize him? Yeah, it's, that's kind of a mystery here in terms of what we see on screen. I mean, because. You could headcanon it, but yeah, there there really doesn't yeah. explain. In in terms of headcanon, one way, of, for example, of doing it would be to say that the second Doctor, we know he meets the Cybermen other times. Maybe one of the other times that he meets them is in the past from 2070. Right. And so they have memories of meeting this incarnation of the Doctor in the past. Right. Well, okay. Another another way would be, you know, they know who Ben and Polly are. And oh, they were Ben and Polly was traveling with the doctor, so this must be the doctor. Must be the yeah, same. Yeah, that doctor. could work too. Not his brother or another. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the the Cybermen they they claim not to possess feelings, but they certainly feel like they're arrogant. Uh, at one point, calling themselves clever, clever, clever. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, they're also insulting, even though they say like revenge. What is that? Yes. They they will then start ragging on people and say only stupid earth brains like yours would have been fooled. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like something out of Futurama. It's really great. Uh Polly of all people comes up with the solution to uh, literally to <laughs> to destroy yeah. the Cybermen. Uh nail polish remover. I mean, come on. <laughs> Actually, no. I I liked this. I thought this was great. So at this point in the episode, the doctor is, at the Cybermen have taken control of the moon base. Yes. And the doctor is with them in the control center where the Gravitron is. And Ben and Polly and Jamie are in the medical bay. And they're trying to figure out what can we do to help? How can we help this situation? So right there, I like it because the companions are taking initiative right. to be active agents in the plot. So I like that. And then what I like is there is no, like a lot of things, there is no critical failure node in this episode. It's like you can't just kill the queen vampire and all the other vampires mm. die. Right. So that means you have to earn your victory. You can't just go for the vulnerable spot. You have to do this piecemeal. So I like that too. And then the plan they come up with is something they all contribute to. They're thinking about, okay, so what do we know about the Cybermen? And Polly points out, uh, or one of them points out, well, we know they're vulnerable to radiation because that's what took them out last time. 
Right. Can we get radiation here? And Ben says, no, we, the only radiation source here is a nuclear reactor, and we can't get near it because it's turned on. It's too, too radioactive. So we need a new solution. We can't just use the solution we used last time. So I like that. Mm. That's good from a writing perspective. Mm-hmm. Then Jamie, out of nowhere, but using his cultural background, says, well, in my day, we sprinkled witches with holy water. And so Jamie gives Polly the seed of the idea mm-hmm. of sprinkling them with something that they're vulnerable to. And they say, and she and Ben work out that, well, there's a lot of their skin seems to be metal, but their chest unit that replaces their heart and lungs, body yeah. horror, yes, is made out of plastic. And Polly says, well, we could use something like nail polish remover or acetone. Yep. Mm-hmm. to dissolve that plastic. It'll be like destroying their hearts and lungs. And so they mix together, but then they, they, they don't know what kind of plastic it is and what will dissolve it. So they mix together a bunch of different solvents. And I admire this because they, they put thought into this plan. All of the companions contribute to it, and then they all execute it together. And it's also a nice little bit of chemistry for a kid's show as part of its yeah. educational remit. So I really like that. I thought this was neat. Yeah, that, that, was, I, that was an impressive scene. And my only thought was, okay, now you're sure that these different solvents aren't going to react together in a way that might be <laughs> yes. uh, dangerous? Yes. I yes. wondered about that, too, but I, I was willing to overlook that for yeah. the sake of what they were doing. <laughs> That's no, what it was, was, it was a very Im- impressive scene, I, I, it turned out, and it turned out very well. The only thing that, or another thing that struck me, though, is Ben wants to use plastic uh, squirt bottles to... <laughs> convey the plastic solvents solvents right <laughs> do they eventually use what fire extinguishers to spray yeah. them yeah okay that makes more sense although the those have plastic hoses usually does it have, do, do well, the ones it, it, on... it's, it was a fire extinguisher that happens to look like your typical windex bottle yeah oh, okay yeah <laughs> i see it looks like a uh, windex bottle also, we get a little bit of uh 60 sexism here when they're getting ready to go do the attack on the cybermen Ben says, not you, Polly, this is men's work. But she comes anyway. Right. And is is using the squirt bottles to uh, take out Cybermen, to kill Cybermen. Yep. Well, uh, Ben also insinuates that Jamie is claiming to be recovered from his concussion uh, in order to impress Polly. There's a a bit of a competition Mm. going on there, I think. Uh Uh-huh. So the, uh, the... the the reason the Cybermen have attacked the base and tried and taken control of the Gravitron is they want to devastate the Earth and pr- in preparation for making it their new home world. It's the right. standard aliens coming and wanting to take mm-hmm. over sort of plot. Yeah. Uh, so in the vacuum of the moon's surface, Ben throws a vi- a glass vial of solvent at the Cybermen, and the solvent then envelops the Cybermen. Would it not immediately freeze? Is that is it plausible? I'm just kind of curious. No, they they take uh well it depends on the solvents it's made of it's and how right. quickly the internal temperature of the solvents would drop to their individual freezing points. Yeah. Um, but they are making an effort to be uh scientifically accurate here because they point out the reason they don't use the squirt bottles in the vacuum of space. The reason he throws a vial of the stuff instead yeah. is because the uh if they the mist would like immediately vaporize and float off or something. It would yep. it would not convey would, well through the vacuum. Right. Right. Uh okay, so uh the the doctor comes up with the idea of using the Gravitron to disable the other Cybermen. Um 
the, the, and at the beginning of the next uh, episode, the, f- the fourth episode, the cyber leader says this priceless line, which must have been lifted by Star Trek later on with the Borg, all resistance is useless, which uh, yep. as someone yeah. had to have picked this up and, and, con- and converted it for Star Trek Next Gen. There's oh there have been a number of aliens who said things like that in science fiction. I guess <laughs> <laughs> just so perfect in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, or the Galaxy TV series that also predates Next Generation. You have the famous scene where the Vogon is shouting, "Resistance is useless! Resistance yep. is useless!" Okay. There is another, however, immortal line, or what I think should be an immortal line in this episode, where the cyber leader in the control center at one point is telling people to shut up and he says if you do not remain silent you will be put under brain control and <laughs> i can just imagine parents all over the place who are science fiction fans <laughs> using that line with their children if you do yes. not remain silent you will be put under brain control <laughs> i think i might show this to my kids <laughs> there you go. so uh so apparently the 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 there's this relief rocket coming from earth uh and the cybermen want to destroy it before it gets there and so one of the technicians that are under their control in the Gravitron control room uses the Gravitron to push the rocket away, essentially, and um, sends it, it into the sun. And for some reason, once you start heading toward the sun, you can't change course. But, you know, so these guys, poor guys in the rocket are doomed um, yep. for well, the next and, week. And they could be, depending on the amount of fuel they have on board, they may not have the fuel needed to alter their course enough to avoid the sun. But it's going to take them a week to die. Exactly. (laughs) It's going to be a while before they get there. Hobson, the the base commander, vows to the cyber leader that they will fight to the last man to keep the Cybermen out. And the Cyberman says, we're already inside, Uh, which is the classic version of that line. Like, you know, they're in the basement. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which they actually kind of are. The Cybermen, they get reinforcements, they show up, and the Cyber Leader, for some reason, keeps trying to convince them to open the airlock and give up, and, and threatening them with destruction if they don't. Why does he just destroy them? Like, why is he, why is he threatening instead of just, like, blasting the airlock open and they all die? Like, that was... I, I think, well, so one of the things they establish, and I don't think they establish this as clearly as they need to, but apparently... The Cybermen can't get close to the operational room within the control center that runs the Gravitron. There, And they establish that even humans, in order to be in this room, need to wear these special, ridiculous-looking foam egg crate helmets yeah. <laughs> um, to protect them from sonic vibrations that would drive you insane in 12 hours. And apparently those also, in some way, mess with the Cybermen even worse. And that's why they're using these Neurotrope X-infected zombies as their proxies to run the, the control equipment for the Gravitron. Uh, and so, uh, so I think part of why they don't want to just kill everybody is they need, the, they need zombies to run the uh, Gravitron right. for them. Exactly. I see. So um, I read online, because I didn't, I didn't get to see it, but uh, someone pointed out that uh, the Cyberman's laser cannon has recoil on the moon. Yes. Oh, I didn't. I didn't notice that. Yeah, they also used the laser cannon to hole the uh, the command center at one point. Yeah, and so we have explosive decompression and airline oxygen masks drop out of the ceiling. It's great. <laughs> yeah, and and, and uh, so they're all strapping those on, and the coffee boils off in the partial vacuum, and then mm-hmm. they use the serving tray to to seal the hole because the yes. the yep. the vacuum will just the air pressure will force 
it against the hole and hold it there. Yeah, right. they they tried they tried a jacket and the jacket just basically got sucked out or pushed out, I guess is the more accurate way of putting it. Yes. And then yeah. they used the tray to cover it completely. Yeah, yeah that, I thought this was good. really nice physics for a kid's show. Yes, that is good. Uh so the doctor just you know decides that the Gravitron is the right weapon. They the they figure out how to point it at the Cybermen. I like the fact that they thought that there would be a block built into it to prevent them from accidentally aiming the Gravitron too low at the moon yeah. surface. And start uh, so, chewing up the moon surface. Yeah, right. it's a nice safety feature. It, uh, mm-hmm. So Hobson remembers that, pulls it out, and so now they can point it at he the just, Cybermen who start floating off into space and their ship. Well, I love the where he, where he disables the, the safety feature by basically pulling the fuse. <laughs> right, uh-huh. right. I, I liked how even the, 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 the Gravitron must have, it must be like a gravity laser or something. Mm-hmm. It must be tightly focused because they're able to just lift up the Cybermen but a lot of moon, a lot of rocks and dust from the moon's surface doesn't yeah. go with them. Just the Cybermen, right? Right. Uh, and so that pretty much, you know, wraps up the Cybermen threat. Um, and the Doctor and crew they sneak back to the TARDIS and and leave, which is sort of par for the course in these episodes and these stories. Uh, whereas the Doctor and folks, you know, often they don't have extended goodbyes; they just kind of yeah. sneak back sneak to the TARDIS. Out. Yep. Um, and he uses the. Uh, Time scanner. Yeah, they use it's the apparently not very reliable time scanner. He says, uh, and they see an enormous claw on it stretching out toward them. The claw, yeah, <laughs> for the, and that's uh, a claw of the macro, which we'll meet in our next second Doctor episode, the macro terror. Yes, yes, and uh, so the, and that that would conclude this story. So, uh, what do you guys think? Any any other notes first before we we, we wrap Just up? Bother? But- one small thing, you know, the doctor mentioned studying under Lister. Well, that's uh, Lord Joseph Lister, who right. who's considered to be the uh, pioneer of modern surgery, antiseptic surgery. He discovered that there was a particular acid, carbolic acid, which would actually kill off microbes so that they could then do surgery. And it, it, it helped to, it was the first disinfectant is basically what it ended up being. Is that Listerine? Surgery. Yeah. So, well, Listerine is named after him. Okay. Yeah. So interesting. So that is that. I mean, he's actually a pioneer in, in something that I mean allowed for our modern surgery today that we don't even really think about surgery for yeah. that aspect anymore. Excellent, Jimmy. So I have in my notes. I thought the sets were really cool, which is uh, a a good reason to watch the video if you can. A question I had for myself, and they eventually addressed this, but I I don't I'm not fully persuaded by it. Why can't they just turn? Because a lot of the danger in this is driven by we need to keep the gravitron running at all costs Mm -hmm. and if it shuts off there are going to be huge problems on earth and i'm going why is this such a big deal why can't you just let earth's weather go back to its natural state i mean we're not living on some hideous storm-tossed world right now but apparently it must be something like a rubber band or something the way they're stretching the environment if they shut it off suddenly they say weather would devastate half of the earth with storms. And I don't really believe that, but, you know, but that's something that they say. Mm-hmm. Another visual aspect of the design is it looks like all of the crewmen on the moon are wearing dosimeters. Uh, they have, you know, in addition to like an indication, they have on their body, on their shirt, an their number because they're all numbered you know the 18 Mm -hmm, guys 
so they all have their number, but then they have this little device on their shirt that looks like a dosimeter to check and see have they received too big a dose of radiation, which would make sense if they're powering the moon base with a nuclear reactor. You wear dosimeters in the presence of nuclear Mm -hmm. reactors. Also, at one point, uh, Ben actually is in sickbay talking with Polly, and they've been treating people using interferon, which is Mm -hmm. real stuff that you really use to, uh, to treat various conditions. I thought the uh, the cyber zombies that had been infected with Neurotrope X were really creepy with the black lines, you know, following their nerves. Nice body horror, and it's nice seeing them as effectively Cybermen with no suits. Right. I thought the fourth episode in particular ratchets up the tension and the speed of the plot. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that there's no critical failure node solution. You have to earn the victory piece by piece. And then at the end... I like when the doctor says, let's use the time scanner, and Jamie says, what's that? He explains it's a device that lets you see through time, and Jamie says, second sight? Very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah, good good 17th century perspective on second sight. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, uh, before we wrap things up, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons and make it possible for us to create Secrets of Doctor Who, including... Justin S, Josette S, Pete B, Mary H, and Noe L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So well, that's it from us. What do you think of this second Doctor story, The Moon Base? If you have, have an opinion, if you've seen it, let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash Doctor Who or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or you can send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 10th Doctor episode, Midnight, which is another excellent episode. Yes. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Yeah, glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, there are some corners of the universe which have bred the most terrible things, things which act against everything that we believe in. They must be fought. Right. This is going to be fun.